You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome to the Skylight Books Podcast. My name is Maddie Gobo, and I am your host today. I'm also a bookseller and I do art for the bookstore as well. Uh, I'm really excited today to be welcoming two fantastic emerging local writers, and they are both 2021 Emerging Voices Fellows with PEN America. I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about that program and our guests in just a minute, but I just wanna say uh, welcome to 2022. We made it somehow, Um, time is not real, but here we are all together. Um, I hope you and your loved ones are safe and you have plenty of books to read. Um, And we're gonna be talking to these two local writers today about their journey um, into writing and which is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, So I wanna give them their proper introduction. So today we have on the podcast, Joanna Hong and Janice Miller. Joanna Hong is a writer and translator living in Los Angeles. Janice Miller is a writer, poet, and urban planner from Compton and the daughter of Panamanian immigrants. She is a 2021 California Arts Council Individual Artist Fellow and Pen America Emerging Voices Fellow. So just a little bit about the Emerging Voices Fellowship. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with this, this is a really cool program that actually was founded here in LA. So PEN America is a nonprofit literary organization um, and they run this program. The Emerging Voices Fellowship provides a virtual five month immersive mentorship program for early career writers from communities that are traditionally underrepresented in the publishing world, which as you may know, skews heavily white and uh, heavily East Coast. So we're fighting back here, getting, um, getting some wonderful diverse voices and specifically Angelino voices into the industry, um, which is really exciting. Um, This program is committed to cultivating the careers of Black writers and serves writers who identify as Indigenous, persons of color, LGBTQ+, immigrants, writers with disabilities, and those living outside of urban centers. Um, It grew out of PEN America, Los Angeles's forum, Writing the Immigrant Experience, which was held at the LA Central Library in March 1994 and explored the experiences of first and second generation immigrant writers. In 1996, PEN America Los Angeles initiated Emerging Voices as a mentorship program designed to provide professional resources to writers seeking financial and creative support to pursue their craft professionally. And this is such a valuable program because even those of us who studied writing in college, you know, they they teach you some craft, they teach you uh, how to come up with ideas, but they don't teach you how to get paid as a writer. They don't teach you the ways into the very Byzantine world of publishing. Um, So it's really cool uh, that Penn pioneered this program, and we're going to hear a little bit more about it from these two new fellows. So I want to first welcome Joanna and Janice to the Skylight Books podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Nadi, for having us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes. How are you both doing today? Doing all right. This is as I can. <laughs> Hanging in there. Joanna, how about you? Yeah, I echo that. Um, <laughs> heavy emphasis on the best as I can. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> 
focus on the positives. So here we are with uh, a couple of great writers. How did you get your start in writing? What was the seed that drew you to writing as um, your profession, as your career, as your calling? Um, Janice, would you start? Could you tell us a little bit? As my profession, career, and calling, what drew me? Um, well, uh, I am one of those writers who, you know, uh, wrote in a diary or journal when I was little. Um, so I, I think writing was like an, you know, an escape for me and going to the library, like I, I really enjoyed doing that. And I think uh, when I was younger, like going to the library was a way also, it was the place that I could go. And then as I got older and could like go out on my own, like catching the bus and the train um, in LA, I could go to the library by myself. It was like this trusted place where, you know, my parents or my mom, I was like, oh, I'm going to the library. And she would just let me go. Meanwhile, I was going like, you know, at the time when I was like a teenager, we lived in Watts. So I was going like to downtown Long Beach. I was going to downtown LA. I don't think she knew where I was going. I was just like, oh, I'm gonna go to the library. And I'd be walking down the streets of downtown LA. <laughs> to get from like the train station to the central library because once I discovered that the central library had all of the books that I needed and wanted so um, I think that those seeds were planted there I think they were definitely planted with my parents um, I have a memory of like my mom she would read these like they were basically like novellas but in a book form like and they had pictures, they looked like comics, but it had like the drama and they were in Spanish. And um, so I, you know, I would see my mom reading that and, uh, you know, I just enjoyed like reading and words and like, there's something about reading, I think, and especially for, for me, I can say for myself that the more I read, the, the more it makes me want to write. It inspires me to write. Like it's, it's, it's like a natural next step, you know, writing is a natural next step from uh, reading. And so, um, so I always loved to read. Um, and I enjoyed like writing and journaling. And I, you know, wrote little stories here and there when I was young. Um, but I didn't really see writing as a career profession. Actually, I, you know, my family um, being, I wasn't the oldest, but, you know, as a responsible, you know, young person in my family, um, I just didn't see writing as something that I could do as a profession. I felt like I had to like do something that would be more sustainable and something that made more sense and something that could help my family economically. Um, and I ended up majoring in sociology, even with that kind of thinking. So I don't know, sociology and black studies. I, I So anyway, so that's what I did undergrad. I ended up going in urban planning. And so to speed up the story, um, when I, I I have two young daughters and when I um, had my first daughter, um, I was just going, I was going through a lot. Um, and my mom had been diagnosed with cancer at that time. You know, return to writing kind of as an outlet. And um, I found this uh, creative writing, this free creative writing class uh, that was being hosted by a local nonprofit based in LA called DSTL Arts, Distill Arts. Um, and, you know, it was an outlet for me. It was a place that I could go while I was, you know, a new mom and dealing with different things like 
for an hour and we would have like prompts and, you know, we would write. And so that kind of re-energized my writing. And that's, I think, where I really started to consider writing again as something that I could do as a profession. And in a way, I guess it did call me back. Um, and I ended up through the Distal Arts program, uh, publishing a chapbook and you know, the teachers that I was working with through that program, they were really affirming um, in terms of my writing and in terms of my voice. And I think that really helped motivate me um, to think again about doing writing, think again about like writing as something as I want, as something that I wanted to do like professionally and, you know, seriously. So now that I'm here. <laughs> I love that journey because it's so community-based. Like you start out in the library, you're traveling all over to all these different branches, exploring their collections. And then you you find your way back to writing as an adult through a community class. Like I think so often we think of writing as a very solitary activity, but for you, it sounds like it wasn't at all. Definitely. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. All right, Joanna, could you tell us a little bit about your journey into the world of writing? Definitely. Um, well, I totally agree with Janice's experience about that inevitable bond of reading and writing that we all know really well, but I was a total book nerd, um, which like compromised my, my social skills to a certain extent when I was a kid. But, um, jokes, no, like that's not completely false. Um, but yeah, libraries, I would say libraries and bookstores, um, were like absolute havens and places where I could just fully be myself and where I fully realized the power of stories. And that was all thanks to my mom. Um, and my dad had forced me to write um, in the most positive way. But like, um, I remember being like my first day of kindergarten, my dad was like, here's your diary, um, start writing. And I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> But I never stopped journaling, um, I guess, since my first day of school. And that's when I kind of was like, oh, wow, I can write what happens to me or write what happens in my life and other people's lives from my perspective. And I found that there was a lot of kind of um, agency in that at a young age that gave me, that was like the one thing I really looked forward to doing at home. That sounds so nerdy saying that. But <laughs> But it really excited me and to just have that power to create something. Um, and so growing up, I think, well, like I, I'm, I'm from a multicultural, multilingual household. Um, like I grew up hearing my parents speak Korean, but my dad grew up in Brazil, so I heard Brazilian Portuguese and then also Spanish. And I just thought, okay, like there's so many languages out there. There's so many written texts. I I want to know what more there is. And I think that made me more curious, I guess, as I got older to see what else was outside of where I was from, um, a little suburb above like um, the Glendale area in LA. And I had a really kind of uh, weird, how do I say, like adolescence and early adulthood where I left the country when I was still, um, I think I was like 17 or 18 after my first year of college and I studied abroad and I, I stayed abroad and I stayed um, in Europe and South Korea for about 10 years. And I had different jobs, like Janice, I kind of thought, okay, like I love writing. 
I obviously love to read, but I didn't really know how to make that kind of mesh with my career goals. But I did do journalism and I was a freelance writer and I was reporting on stories that were really kind of um, attractive and intense to me, which were always about like underrepresented um, stories of struggle and how people like came to point B when they were at point like negative Z in their lives. And I don't know, I think just having uh, been exposed at a young age to these kind of intense human rights abuse stories that I was helping to write about in my early writing career, I thought, well, I wish there was some way I could and tell the story that I wanted to tell too, maybe about these people or things that I hoped for these people, even for myself. And that's when I was like, wait, I can, I can write stories. So it kind of dawned on me much later in my life. Um, and while I was working day jobs and like, uh, I don't know, like corporate businesses or even just as like a poor struggling journalist, I just remember like on subways or buses um, or long walks, I'd, I'd always just like write down notes about little things that popped up for stories that I wanted to write eventually. I didn't think that I could do it then. Um, and so I ended up with like notebooks of these notes for these stories that I thought that one day I could kind of tackle down. And it wasn't until recently where I kind of actually opened the page and thought, okay, maybe I can sew something together here. It's a weird place. <laughs> That's fascinating. I think every every writer's story is different. And um, I, I I wanted to ask this question to start because we're coming from a place of you both being designated as emerging voices. And um, I think it's important to show our audience that a, a writing career is, it's very hard to track. A lot of the time things are happening under the surface. You can't see that a writer is becoming a writer until all of a sudden they are a writer. Um, so my next question I wanted to ask is, what, what does it mean to you to be to think of yourself as an emerging voice or an emerging writer? Um, how do you conceptualize that? Was there like a moment that you felt like you did fully emerge? Are you still emerging? Are you not sure if you've emerged yet? Where are you in that process right now? I, yes, I do feel like I am still emerging. Um, but like you said, like, or I like how you said it, like, you know, where does a writer come from? And there were all of these things happening to contribute to you know, your point of emergence, I guess, <laughs> as a writer. Um, and um, I'm gonna randomly, what that makes me think of is like, you know, so one of the things that as I was listening to Joanna, I was like, oh yeah, there's so many people who, who are a part of my story, like my parents, my father and my mother, who were creative in their own ways, whether it was like through cooking or, you know, um, my dad would create like point in time my mom she would do uh like embroidery and it's just different ways that they had creative outlets and I think that contributed to this emergence and then there were the teachers that I had in school um like mostly like black women teachers I went to schools in Compton and um you know 
they were the first ones to give me assignments where we had to go to like the Compton library or to take us to the library at the school. And to the point of emergence, there was one book I remember in fifth grade, we had to read about Greek mythology. And I love the story of Athena and like Athena gets birthed from, I think like Zeus's <laughs> head, like this idea, it just comes forth. And I think maybe if I can make a little connection there, maybe that's how it happens, right? Like there's this idea that gets planted and then it just, it, it emerges. But like you said, it's, it's been there, just, it was there and then it's just emerging. Um, and so like, even, you know, before I delved into creative writing, I was a researcher. So my my area of, of work in urban planning was as a researcher in making GIS maps. And, um, and then also for me, like coming from a place like Compton and growing up in like Watts, like I knew that there were, you know, I lived parts of the story of these places that never got told. Um, and then as a researcher doing research for and about communities like the ones I grew up in, I got to tell those stories, those stories, or part of my research involved talking to people about parts of the story that you don't get from like statistics and from the numbers, like through qualitative research. Um, so I, you know, I do, I feel like I do like this word emerging. Um, I don't know what it means to arrive. I, I don't know. I don't know that I want to have arrived. I, I like being an emerging writer. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I have to think about that. You know, right now I'm just sitting in the, in the title or the space of emerging, but I don't know what it would be like to not be emerging. I guess there are writers who I, I look up to who I probably wouldn't call emerging, but um, for now I like emerging. And um, was there more to the question <laughs> that I'm not I think I think that answers I like I like how you framed it as like it's like an ongoing process of discovery like there's still even even when you know you've published 10 books there's still there's still things that are emerging out of your head like Sue's yes <laughs> Joanna what do you what do you think about that question I know it's a it was a big question no I love I love that popping out of his head <laughs> I think that was powerful um uh, I mean, I don't, I guess, like, off of what Janice just said, I don't want to stop emerging as well, just because for me, that word is, like, it parallels growth, and I feel like no matter what stage I'm in in my career or my writing journey, I I think even just within myself, if I know that um, there's still room for me to grow and there's still room for me to emerge as okay, a better improved version of myself or just even more skilled in my own craft, like that would be a useful thing to motivate me to, I don't know, I, I think that like complacency and um, thinking that you've quote unquote made it. I, that's that's a I think Janice uh, referred to this too but it kind of kind of daunts me I don't really quite want to get there because that's not what writing is about for me and so 
I know there are like different interpretations about emerging, obviously like for early career writers, but I think I want to take that term with me from here on out. So. I mean, I didn't even know I was an emerging writer though. So it's good to hear somebody say I was an emerging writer to be seen, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so I want to ask a little bit more about your experience in the program um, with Penn. So first of all, how did you find uh, Penn Emerging Voices? And then second of all, what have been some of the highlights of your experience with the program over the last year? Um, Joanna, do you want to start this time? Sure. Um, I was just talking about this with a friend the other day, but I, um, how I found out about the EV program was I was scrolling on Twitter and one of my favorite authors, Min Jin Lee, had posted about this fellowship. And I've, I'd been following Penn for, for a while, um, but I hadn't really, I hadn't heard of this fellowship opening before. And just seeing um, one of my favorite writers put that up, I was like, oh, like, maybe I should give it a go. So I was talking to my partner about this and I was like, we had this game about like, oh, should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I do it? And for me, I was like, I really want to do it, but I was really scared about not getting it. And I mean, that's a whole other like door uh, um, opener, like the conversation of, of failing, but um, <laughs> I, I, I just kind of came across it by happenstance and I thought, okay, why not? And um, that's, that's what happened there, yeah. Janice, how did you find the Emerging Voices Fellowship? So I, excuse me, I had um, attended VONA, the VONA workshop um, in poetry. And um, someone in my cohort was a Penn Emerging Voices Fellow previously. Uh, her name is Soleil David. And she encouraged me to apply. Um, because she said it was, you know, for um, writers who didn't have an MFA. And, you know, I was also looking for ways to continue to learn about, you know, the craft of writing. Um, and so she had recommended it to me. Uh, and that's how I found out about it. And um, I applied and I didn't, I didn't get selected that, that year. So it was, the previous year before this, you know, past year. Um, and then I did end up applying again uh, this year and I, you know, was selected, so. Well, big congratulations to you both. This is, it's so cool. Um, so how has the, the program been for you? Um, what have been some exciting things that have happened over the course of your five months? Um, did you work with anyone you were really particularly excited to work with? Did you learn any surprising facts about the publishing industry we should know? The first thing that comes to my mind is I was so blown away by the other writers in my fiction cohort. Um, we're all from different parts of the country, uh, like from LA to Oklahoma to New York. Um, but I was really kind of moved and in awe of like the quality and the depth of the writing that uh, my fellow my fellow fellows produced. And it was really motivating in the sense that since I don't have a formal education in, in creative writing, I've just written creatively 
it's a side hobby that's something I've always wanted to kind of fully realize at one point but um it was just really motivating to also see how much of themselves was poured out into their work and how motivating that was to see for me uh, in terms of how I saw my own work too and I think the feedback sessions that we had with each other like the workshops um, were really helpful in that sense where we got to each read um, a significant amount of each person's work um, but so that was really such a blessing for me because I hadn't really been in that kind of environment ever um, although this is done virtually but um, it still was was really wonderful to just connect even as um, like virtual friends that sounds weird but <laughs> um, and I think the second thing was just having my mentor um, being connected with the author Patricia Engel she was my um, mentor and she was so open and warm and like so resourceful but just genuine as a human being. And I think for me going into it, when I was told about the mentorship scheme, I was really kind of taken aback and intimidated thinking, oh my God, like I'm not qualified to speak to somebody who's written a book, which was kind of weird, but <laughs> I thought, I, I, didn't, I didn't know how to approach it. Um, but she was great because she really tore down a lot of barriers that I had in my mind about like the publishing industry or just even writing as a craft as a woman of color. and owning your story and your narrative and questioning the critical voices that have been like also kind of systemically built in my head um, um, about who can write uh, a, a certain story. So um, I, yeah, I think those two things really stood out uh, to me that I'll carry on like literally I think for forever. Big shout out to Patricia. Uh, Janice, how about you? How's your experience been so far? Um, I would agree uh, with everything that Joanna said. Um, you know, it it's amazing to be amongst this cohort of writers and you look at what they're writing and how they're writing and you're like, oh, wow, <laughs> you know, I am a part of this group. Um, and as well as uh, the mentorship, and my mentor is Dana Johnson, who is from LA. And so I really appreciated the opportunity to connect with this amazing writer who I knew of before and, you know, who writes about LA and the city, this place that, you know, is just complex uh, and that, you know, that we both love. And, you know, this is someone who's writing about it and writes about it well. Um, and I, I think there was, you know, Dana did also for me rather immediately take down the like, almost the celebrity factor, like, <laughs> uh, cause you're so down to earth and so, you know, open. And I will say too, also where as, you know, having a mentor and having her as a mentor helped um, and to the question of like, what did I kind of gain or learn or how has the fellowship helped? I think, um, you know, Maddie, what you mentioned earlier about like, there's not necessarily one way to become a writer. Um, I think it was helpful to learn that also there's not necessarily one particular way to also publish as, as a writer or to reach 
that goal or that point of like publishing a book. So the fellowship definitely, I had never, never considered, and I, it made me wonder why I never considered it, but I never considered writing and writing a book as an industry. You know, I, I work in a different industry, come from, you know, nonprofit and there's strengths and challenges to that. And I had never looked at publishing a book and writing as like its own industry with its own, you know, challenges and like strengths. And so I think that was like a big eye opener. We're talking about numbers and ways decisions get made and agents and why you need an agent and like commissions and a book proposal. (laughs) I was like, what? It's a book proposal. <laughs> I'm supposed to do that. Um, I did not know about book proposals. So that's how much like it the fellowship for me has been helpful and just like the details of how a book gets made. Like I was just showing, like I said, just showing up to the library, like checking out books. <laughs> I never thought about how those books necessarily like got there and got bound and got, <laughs> I don't think about any of that. So I, the fellowship for me was definitely helpful in that way, for sure. And then where Dana as a mentor was helpful, was then able to say, okay, this is the broad picture and this is how it worked for her. You know, this is how her process has, you know, has, has gone, you know, um, why some people have done book proposals and some people haven't like just it having the mentor plus the information in all of the workshops and presenters that we were learning from it definitely gave us more of on the ground um look at okay what all of that you know the industry and that process looks like for a particular writer who is successful um so i think it was very helpful and eye-opening and enlightening in that way and um, encouraging and affirming that, you know, you don't have to go a particular route, you know, um, especially the routes that we may be more familiar with, you know, through social media and things like that. Yes, here, here. I think um, whatever way you can find your way to publishing is is valid. There's, you know, the, the publishing industry itself is a messy business. It's pretty gross when you know how the sausage gets made. <laughs> so it's important to find people who can uh, bolster you on that journey through the sausage machine. <laughs> I don't know That's why I'm to that. Put it. <laughs> Um, Also, I have one more question, and then I would love to hear um, a little bit of both of your writing uh, to close us out, if that's all right. Um, So my last question is just, I'd love to hear about uh, the projects that you're working on, um, what you're excited about in your your writing process right now, if if you feel comfortable sharing. I know I don't want to push you to share things you're not ready to share yet, because it's important to protect your projects, but I'd love to hear a little bit about um, just what you're thinking about right now. Uh, Janice, would you start us off? I feel like I should be ready for this question. I should have the pitch. I should have the bullet points that I'm working on, such and such, which will be this and this. And I kind of have it. And, you know, I'm sorry if I'm disappointing the staff of Pen Emerging Voices. Like, this is the whole point of the fellowship so you can get to the point where you can talk about what you're doing. <laughs> um, 
let's see. So I mean, I am I am writing and I feel like I've been writing towards a project. And I think the fellowship was helpful in just confirming like um, you know, that what I've been writing that kind of seems a bit like disparate and a bit all over the place actually, you know, can um and hopefully will come together in like a, you know, a couple one or two like book projects um so for the pen immersion voices I did I read as a part of our final reading an excerpt from an essay that I've been working on called labor of memory and that is a project that I'm like writing about and writing towards in my writing I write a lot about place and like intersectional history um, art particularly black art um, and, you know, my own personal experiences in like different places and, you know, in the culture and cultures that I come from. Um, and so this project, which I'm calling Labor of Memory, it's, it's both, a, it's a reflection of like labor, like the history of labor in my family and, you know, myself um, and myself being a descendant of folks who migrated specifically for labor, um, you know, my great grandparents who migrated, you know, from the Caribbean to work, you know, as part of the Panama Canal project. And, you know, my parents who came, you know, for work when my father, my mom came for love, she says, uh, she said, and, um, and just how that influences, you know, my life and how, you know, how that influences many of our lives, like the decisions that are made when people are looking for work and, you know, um, and what it says about culture and, um, and then also the labor for myself is also the labor specifically of memory, like so going through archives um, and trying to find information that that wasn't passed down for, you know, various reasons, like information that wasn't passed down to me. So it becomes a labor to try to find this information and try to find out more about my grandfather and about my great grandparents and things like that. Um, so that's what I'm writing about right now. Um, and I am writing about, still about Compton and Watts. Um, just, I, I don't use the term like counter narrative. I, I, it's more just about like, just adding narrative to the singular narrative that um, has been put forth about, you know, Compton and, and Watts as well. Uh, I am working on editing a, a series of like articles and pieces that will be uh, mostly by writers who are from Compton um, through, that, that'll be coming up soon. Um, that'll be published through KCET Artbound. And um, so that's where, that's where I'm at right now. There are other things I, just, I, I definitely am like writing where I am right now. I am enjoying what I'm doing through writing and like the, the doors and the spaces to like create that it has opened for me, like working with artists. Like right now I'm doing like um, an exchange with the artist whose work I really love um, from Panama. Her name is Gianna De Dier. Uh, she's a collagist. And so we're working on something. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm working on right now. Wow, Janice, you're so busy. Those all sound like incredible projects. Thank you for sharing.
I'm particularly interested in the labor one, as I think uh, maybe a lot of us are right now rethinking our relationship to labor um, and how we can maybe forge better relationships. So I'll look forward to reading all of those pieces soon. Yeah, for sure. Joanna, could you tell us a little bit about what you're working on? Absolutely. I don't have anywhere near the amount of projects that Janice has. <laughs> oh, I might bore listeners. Um, but I guess, yeah, um, well, going into the fellowship, I um, had this story that's called um, this fiction novel I've been working on called Mother Tongue, um, which I, I feel like, crossing my fingers, I recently finished. Um, so that's kind of, I've, I've never done something like that before. Um, so I, 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 I pinch myself before I go to sleep sometimes being like, can I really finish that? Or do I, do I need to like continue? Because <laughs> I think one of the questions I kept asking like throughout the fellowship to other authors was, how do you know when you're done? Um, and I like, I got a whole bunch of mixed um, responses because they're like, well, well, sometimes you just know and other people are like, oh, you never know, you just do. <laughs> um, and then you just see, you you have to let it go. And that, that's something I've been learning right now um, and through the fellowship, particularly like the, I call it like the logistics of this kind of seemingly ambiguous creative process. Also like having some kind of quote unquote order to it, but at least your way of processing how to how to move forward and for me I think I've been trying to figure out how to um, like step away from something after I feel like it's almost done or if it is done and then also figuring out um, what to work on next so I actually I have been brainstorming on um, another new novel and the works that I want to kind of tackle down but in terms of uh, the writing material or the subject matter, at least for this um, this recent project, Mother Tongue, it's centered on, um, well, I love intergenerational stories and especially um, highlighting how people um, experience or overcome trauma that's been directly or inadvertently passed down to them. Um, as a daughter of immigrants too, I think, through my own personal experience or I've seen people or even like people in my own family or just strangers go through what, what they have um, just based on uh, circumstances that they, did, they didn't choose. I think for me, it was really, um, it's always very compelling to, uh, I don't know, I, I feel drawn to, to write about those, those voices that you don't really get to hear about too much, at least like in a, in a really humanistic uh, uh, fashion or manner, I feel like, um, I don't know, I was thinking about this lately, like my kind of sense of duty as a writer is to be honest about um, obviously like the human experience, but also just um, humanizing people. There's so much dehumanization that's out there um, for different, let's say like people of color, different, um, types of people um, and I, I always kind of feel like whether I'm uh, writing a short story or, or prose or even just something nonfiction, I, I feel like that's kind of the backbone of where I'm coming from. I always want to shed that light. Um, and gosh, where am I going with this? Oh yeah, so <laughs> um, intergenerational trauma. Um, I, I, 
I know there's a lot of kind of controversy about like people saying, you know, um, like some people are really voyeuristic about what stories of trauma they choose to highlight and what or trauma should be written about at all. Um, I do believe that it should be written about just because I feel like to say that there isn't any trauma in, in our lives is, is false. Um, and I think that does injustice to um, improving people's lives or actually having more empathy for them in, in, in the real world. So um, that's, that's kind of the compass I, I, I have with my writing. So I love to write about family dramas. I love to write about relationships. I, um, this recent project was also a kind of historical fiction novel, just because I lived in different places. I love writing about um, like different cities. Uh, it gets set in South Korea and also Germany during the 1980s. Um, so when there was a lot of division politically, um, in, on both continents, and um, I, I, I'm really kind of attracted to seeing what causes this very human problem of division, and what have people done to solve it, and where have we failed in that process? So that's that's very vague. <laughs> that's that's kind of the north star for how I want to start new projects or approach new things and and also I guess like shout out to the fellowship and of course my amazing mentor I've learned how to um I mentioned like uh, to step away from something I think that in our culture in America we're so used to like you know hustle hustle go go we were just talking about like wanting to nap for a week <laughs> but I think also as creators in a culture where we're so um, used to hearing you know um, you always gotta win you gotta win you gotta get you gotta get like there has to be also um, this kind of training or reconfiguration in our minds that had to step away from something and like recalibrate and and restore rejuvenate yourself and I think the pandemic taught a lot taught us a lot about that so that's something that's really kind of in the forefront of my mind I really like that philosophy. I think, um, you know, you're saying this is all very vague, but I, I don't see it as vague at all. I feel like it's all very relevant to, you know, just dealing with life under the pandemic and life under late capitalism and all of the, the massive, massive forces working to dehumanize us and, and our neighbors at all times. And it does feel like this approach to writing is a small way of fighting back against that that maybe has more impact than you know um and so thank you for speaking about that um all right so to close us out i would love to just hear some some samples of your work um and then i'm going to ask you to recommend a, a book because i'm a bookseller and i love to just keep adding to my long long lists of books i need to read um all right so uh which of you would like to start i so i'm gonna read from a part of an essay which was like one of the few things that i got published last year and you know i think what we've been talking about, about like rest and work and pacing, like last year, I mean, cause this past couple of years for me, <clears throat> have been tough. And I feel like, um, you know, I've been needing like the pacing. Um, and so, you know, when everyone's doing like, oh, roundup of the last year, like I, 
I had some things that I've done, but I, I was I was okay with not like having a whole list of of things <clears throat> because um, I just needed that pacing. And I think, um, you know, with the projects that I have now, it kind of feels like I'm I'm able to like set the pace, which feels you know, which feels good. So so this was a piece that was published. Um, in January, uh, on January 27, 2021, in the Los Angeles Review of Books. And um, I was doing some thinking about the, Com the Compton Christmas Parade because it didn't happen the previous year and it didn't happen this year. And it's a parade that I like always look forward to. It pulled from some, some photos from an archive. Um, uh, archive, excuse me, of uh, Guy Crowder, who was a photographer locally, and he was a photographer photographer for the LA Sentinel, as well as like the first African American photographer um, for Los Angeles County, um, like the the government system, you know, Los Angeles County, and so his archive is is with uh, Cal State Northridge in the Tom and Ethel Bradley like library archives. So I'm pulling it from archives and then like personal experiences, like my mom had passed away the previous year in 2020. And actually my, my father ended up passing away in 2021. So it was just like a whole tone, a whole mood. And so that's, I'm gonna read from that, that essay, which you can find at the LA Review of Books online. Oh, the title, <laughs> I should say the title. The title is, I Hope That We Can Be Together Soon, which is a song, um, like R&B song uh, by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. There is a love song I miss hearing, blasting from a passing car or motorcycle since there was no parade this past year. Hope That We Can Be Together Soon by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes featuring Sharon Page. The song opens with what sounds like electric raindrops. Page, a soul singer from Philadelphia, floats over the melody, articulating the statement and question of the song. This idea of soon reminds me of my mother who passed away last year, who would say soon come, born in Panama, granddaughter of West Indian Panama Canal workers. She will forever shine in my memory, offering soon come as a future promised without the assurance of when. I hope that we can be together soon, not knowing when, but believing that it is inevitable. Sharon Page renders the refrain, I hope that we can be together soon with heart-rending longing. As in the song, there are reasons known and unknown why we cannot be together. Paige also passed away in 2020, yet her voice forever shines in these melancholy notes. I hope that we can be together soon, she sings, real soon. In the poem, Doo-Wop, Ahmad Jamal Johnson writes, the same tune is playing, 
as if that cry is holding the air, as if we are dying, as if we have never lived. Compton has tried to change the way it is perceived. At the beginning of her tenure, Mayor Asia Brown, the city's youngest mayor, proposed Compton as the new Brooklyn. The mayor before her, Eric Paradin, touted birthing a new Compton. The slogan was painted on utility boxes, along with a towering mural of then President Barack Obama, steps away from the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. monument designed by Harold Williams. While the myth of the city prevailing in popular culture has been a hindrance to changing the way Compton is seen by outsiders, it remained an asset to those within it. Surviving made you feel you outsmarted danger, made you feel brave. Living here, you believe the hype, even though it may not be completely true because it grants you a certain credibility. If you can survive here, the outsider's perception of here, you can survive anywhere. Still, living here gives a certain tenacity that years and times like this require. And the Christmas parades continue to draw a cadre of celebrities and artists who are from the city. Kendrick Lamar returned to great fanfare, including a key to the city and an energetic dance perform performance by local youth embodying and shouting his lyrics. We gonna be all right. And it is true as it always has been for this city. We are gonna be all right. <clears throat> I don't know what it's like to be from a city no one has heard of. When I tell a stranger that I am from Compton, no other reference is needed. It's real to us and we call ourselves real far more than any outsider can imagine. If it ain't the place to be, it's the place to be from. I'm from Compton. That's right, we're the art. Lorraine O'Grady witnessed repurposing of her art is gold frames concept in a Biden-Harris campaign video. Reflecting on the legendary event in her recently released book, Writing in Space, she said, although it had been a joyous occasion, it wasn't the joy that attracted me. It was the complexity, the mystery, the images that no matter how hard I looked would never become clear, would always remain out of reach. What Compton means will always remain out of reach. It is defined and redefined with every generational shift. Upon first glance, the gray 1973 Christmas parade photos may appear unclear, the images hard to see. Performing in the rain had to be difficult, even if the people performing made it look easy. The images reflect that day, that moment in time, in all of its uneasy beauty. People whose spirits refuse to be dampened in the downpour. I do hope that we can be together soon. Can you make it real soon? Thank you so much.
I love the way the music weaves through that piece. It's beautiful. Thank you. I, I forgot to mention that it was about content. <laughs> it's about a lot of things. My voice is. Just... Yeah, Joanna says that was gorgeous. I agree. Thank you. Beautiful to me. All right, Joanna, are you ready to read us something? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> um, right, so this is a little short excerpt um, from my novel titled Mother Tongue. And just to provide a little context, um, my main character, Sue, is having a conversation with her best friend, Dominic. Um, but she's having a, a political awakening for the first time. And this is, I must mention this, this is around in the 1970s in South Korea. Nobody told her about what the Americans might have done to the Korean woman. You don't curse the heroes. So the night was calm, a chill danced her, down her spine and back up to freeze her throat. But she held herself tighter, squeezing her bony fingers against the endless raised dots around her forearms as if to warm or hold herself together from falling apart. There was still boundless information about the war she felt she could never understand, nor wanted to. The details she imagined would be better bound in an ancient chest buried deep underneath the dirt, right below her feet by the Han River, right where they were now, the key thrown away. The flickering of burning lights on the river's insatiable currents awakened the thought that every person must have one of those chests, like her parents. Her parents who rarely spoke of their own pasts. Her parents were perfect poster examples of what the war could do. A family with roots split up by ideology and borders and minefields. Her father from the north, her mother from the south. They had both mourned for Min Choropa, her cousin when he was murdered. Damning the extremists who prized their supremacist belief, deeming itself above human life and the freedom to navigate it as one would wish. With their eyes closed, her parents could recognize the screams of someone burning and already see that nobody would come to help. Call it injustice, call it dealing with what you've been given, but don't you dare say you were surprised. She knew they knew this, but did she understand? She tried to explain this to Dominic, yet as she spoke, her words fumbled and radiated with an embarrassment that she felt she could purge out of herself and into the moving river, furious at how Dominic could speak more confidently about the political state of her own country in better, more articulated terms than she ever could. She felt challenged. The wretched feeling that froze her throat slithered down into an illogical envy of him having lived in other countries and having witnessed other realities that provided a legitimate basis of analysis, raging from the depths of her core an unknown urge to want to experience firsthand such political calamities that destroyed people's lives. To give her the right to say that she knew what it felt like too to banish the serpent of inferiority setting ablaze her pride. The oxymoron of it all, she briefly thought to herself, of fighting the ego in the face of political disaster. Would she herself be the ultimate goal? To show, to prove how much she could handle, to declare how much she knew better, how much she was better, as opposed to how much she could help. The compulsion was undeniable, to want to see it with her own eyes, to witness her friends as her mother did, be taken away for forced prostitution to the Japanese soldiers, or for the record, to the American soldiers too. She guessed the South Korean soldiers would have surely taken part. 
She wanted to know how her father's lungs felt when he held his breath underwater and mourned for his dead friends, watching the rifle bullets pierce through the sky above him like dragonflies before piercing into someone else's chest. She wished for the clairvoyance of knowing what political atrocities lay ahead, unable to identify this blind, almost violent eagerness to do whatever she could to protect the ones she loved, even herself. The thought made her tongue dry. Mm, thank you, Joanna. Wow, that was so propulsive. I felt like we were in the river. Thank you, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, you're like reading your own work and it's never something I, I don't think I'll get used to. Well, thank you both so much for sharing uh, with our listeners. Uh, listeners, keep an eye out for the work of Janice Miller and Joanna Hong. Um, they're going to be huge. Uh, and I would like to ask them one last question as our parting gift to you all for listening. Um, can each of you recommend to me either a book or an author or a place in LA that you would recommend, like that you think our listeners should check out? I have a recommendation here and it's a book recommendation. It is an anthology. So, you know, it has poems, essays, stories, and plays. So I have it here. It's called Gathering. And it's an anthology uh, that was created by Women Who Submit, which is uh, a local organization. Um, well, it was founded locally and they actually have chapters that are starting internationally, but nationally um to support um women um non-binary writers who um just to provide a, a space to like motivate folks to like submit their work and um you know know that their work is valuable and i'm going to read just a bit of you know what it says gathering is a collection of poems essays stories and plays by women who submit members uh, from various chapters. It is a way for members in our literary community to acknowledge the traumas of the past year and offer hope in the face of unprecedented challenges. Uh, so it was just recently released actually at the end of last year. And, um, you know, it is my recommendation. It goes to support a, a really dope group um, that started in LA. And I mean, the writers too, the writers are they're, they're awesome. <laughs> so that's my recommendation. Thank you. Joanna, what should we check out? Um, I feel like um, listeners of this podcast may have already read this, um, but I'm a huge fan of Alexander Chi, the author, and um, I love his book, How to Write an Autobiographical Novel. That, oh, it's like chef's kiss, like, eternal chef's kisses for me and um it's whether you want to write an autobiographical novel or whether you want to write a poem or an essay or I think whether you want to write anything or you're not sure whether you're the right person to even write that thing I think that you need to read this book if you haven't yet already because it's, it's a collection of essays he speaks about um he recounts certain experiences that have really um you know, presume shaped uh, his life. And I, 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 I sat down like for hours kind of after I finished reading that book or even each essay. And um, it really made me uh, wish I read it earlier. 
So um, I recommend that. And also for places, um, be a little cheeky and say Skylight Books. <laughs> Everyone should go to Skylight Books. Um, actually, um, like talking about libraries and bookstores from earlier, um, when I was a little teenager, I would take the bus to seek um, personal independence and take the bus down to Skylight Books. So it's um, a personal little haven for me. And I hope people can also visit. Oh, that warms my heart. Thank you, Joanna. <laughs> also a huge fan of that Alexander Chi book. I think he says something in there that's like a novel is, writing a novel is like asking yourself a question that you, you can never get to the end of the question. It's something like that. And I, I think about that a lot. Um, it's, it kind of takes the pressure off because you're like, oh, I'm just asking myself a question. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, he's very wise. All right, well, I think we are at the end of our time together. Um, Janice and Joanna, thank you so much for uh, spending this hour with me and with our listeners. It's been really a treat um, learning about both of your journeys and hearing your work. And congratulations again on the fellowship. And uh, I can't wait to read more of your work soon. Thanks so much, Maddie. Thank you. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Skylight Books podcast. Again, my guests today were Joanna Hung and Janice Miller, 2021 Emerging Voices Fellows. Um, if you are an aspiring writer, if you're emerging, if you're somewhere in that process, um, please check out the Emerging Voices Fellowship. Check out PEN America. They do amazing work and they can help connect you to the wonderful community of writers, um, whether you're in LA or anywhere, uh, anywhere in the world. So um, I hope that you've learned some things and that you are feeling inspired. And I want to encourage you to keep reading and don't be afraid to write also. All right, take care, everybody, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.